Do you ever find yourself in an ethical snag? A snag because you just aren't sure if what you're concerned about is ethically wrong or not. Are there areas in your life that you feel stuck on what's permissible or not? Well, on today's show, we are going to consider how to navigate ethical gray areas in our lives. Welcome to the show that loves doubters here on Christianity Still Makes Sense. We are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate and now pastor and apologist, Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, Bobby, I'm excited for this episode, but I, I want to have you just give a little bit of detail and review what we talked about last week because it's important for what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, you bet, bud. Last week, we had a conversation about ethics, uh, and we talked about the importance of it. And there I gave a simple definition sharing essentially that ethics is the study of right and wrong. Uh, We talked about how all of us are built by God with an innate moral sense that each of us has written on our hearts called the moral law. Mm. And uh, therefore, that can account for why people who aren't Christians can still exhibit morality in their life. For example, we talked about Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, three philosophical figures who were for sure passionate about the ethical life. And so we kind of talked about that. I gave an example from the crazy liberal philosophical professor from Princeton, Peter Singer, and just wanted us to realize how important it is for us to live an ethical life and for us to be able to think through how we are to live ethical. Well, okay. So I think that that's helpful for the audience to kind of lay a foundation as we're moving into this week's episode. And you just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how morality is kind of built from birth, which you said applies to God's kind of general revelation. And while that gives us some basic understanding through our conscience of, of what is right and wrong, what other tools has God left us as believers to be informed about an ethical life? Yeah, and that's key. So as believers, so we've said, you know, a non-believer and believers, we've got this moral law within, but then for believers, God's ethic is revealed through scripture and the Bible's full of moral maxims for living. It teaches us about social ethics in the home, workplace, and our neighborhoods. It instructs us regarding personal ethics, regarding things such as lying, cheating, stealing, forgiveness, anger. The Bible teaches us about the ethics of money, business, So it's replete with ethics. In fact, we read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, right? And so it goes on to say, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hmm. But I like that idea that it says that we're trained in righteousness. That is, the Bible teaches us how to know what is right, righteous, and what is wrong unrighteous. Lots of people view the Bible as a boring rule book that takes the joy out of living. But the Bible uh, is perceived like the police officer that always crashes parties, right? I mean, that's how people will look at it. I remember that from when I was younger. Oh, great. Here come the police to ruin our fun. You know, when we were all, you know, tripping on LSD at a party and they had to break up the party or we were all inebriated from drinking too much. The police were always the ones destroying fun, but nothing could be truer from the truth as it relates to God. The Bible's God's love letter. It's trying to teach us how to discover the most out of life. God's not trying to crash our party, but rather he's trying to invade our party to invite us into the real party. 
Psalm 119 and verse one says, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. To be blessed, uh, one connotation that is to be happy. God's trying to protect us from an immoral life that produces, right? Guilt, shame, condemnation, consequences. So we know that the Bible is composed of two testaments, the old and the new. The question is, are we still bound to the Old Testament law today? Well, in the Old Testament, there seems to contain three broad distinctions uh, as it relates to God's law, the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral law. And all three laws were very important during the Old Testament age. But in the New Testament, we're only bound to the moral law. We're not under the civil law or the ceremonial law. Why is that? Well, because first, the ceremonial law had lots to do with rituals and sacrifices and cleansing procedures. And all of this pointed to the coming of Christ. But once Christ came, we realized just by a cursory reading of Hebrews that this law was fulfilled in Christ. But then what about the civil law? Well, the civil law has changed its shade as well. Israel in the Old Testament was basically uh, under a theocracy ruled by God. Just a quick glance at Romans 13 in verses 1 to 7 or in 2 Peter verses 13 to 15, we realize that in the New Testament, you have both Jews and Christians who are commanded to be obedient to Gentile rulers. Finally, I'd say, you know, it is the moral law that we're still bound to today. For instance, with the exception to the first commandment, keeping the Sabbath, there would be no controversy over keeping the other nine commandments. Uh, we know that as Christians, we're not supposed to lie, steal, murder, commit adultery, those type of things. Uh, speaking of the moral law, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Therefore, the Bible then, Tim, it serves as a moral compass guiding us to walk in a God-honoring way. So we have the conscience, as I said, that fits for believer, non-believer alike. But then as believers, God's ethic is revealed through scripture, but his ethic is also revealed through Christ. It was through observing the life of Jesus that one saw ethics personified. Jesus Christ is the essential ethic. He even described himself as truth in John 14, 6. Jesus is our moral exemplar. We know that Jesus lived a sinless life on our behalf as God in the flesh. So by looking at Jesus' life, we can observe God in everyday shoes. That's an astounding thought. When we study the life of Christ through the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we are literally reading the actions of God in the flesh. In fact, Jesus even took ethics to a brand new level. He went to the heart of the matter by saying, I tell you, if you have looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery. He even equated being angry with our brother as murdered. He wanted us to know that we will not only be judged by our actions, but our motives would be weighed as well. So therefore, the Christian ethics are discovered in nature, through our conscience, through scriptures, and through Christ. So we learn about holiness by looking at uh, his uh, word, and we learn about sin uh, by watching his death. So we look at his life, and we can learn about holiness, but we look at his uh, sin, and we can see how devastating it is by seeing that what Jesus had to die for. Jesus came to earth to be the ultimate ethic on the cross. He was the only one who ever lived that was perfect, that could die in our place. Hmm. The lack of ethics, which is sin, is costly. 
So God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our lack of ethics, which is sin. Jesus died for us to forgive us. And he rose from the grave showing us that if we place our faith in Christ, we can be forgiven of our sins and spend eternity with God in heaven. Well, I do want to highlight that first piece that you uh, talked about, the difference between kind of the Old Testament where the ceremonial uh, and the moral and the civil law is so important because it's one of the things that uh, in discussions with folks is so misunderstood about the Old Testament and biblical ethics. And so I think that that is really important. And then looking at the life of Christ, but, but sometimes ethical decisions are tricky. So when you refer to us navigating these gray areas, what advice would you give us for making decisions when they don't seem clear. And I think the reason um, some things can be gray for us as individuals is because we're different as people. So Mm -hmm. one person may may be able to handle one thing, Tim, while another person can't handle it. So we can't apply a hard and fast rule to everyone. Um, I had a guy come down on me hard recently uh, for going to Starbucks, right? Uh, And for him, he was like, you shouldn't go to Starbucks. It was a black and white principle. Uh, For him, Starbucks, you know, had went off the tracks, right? Went off the deep end. And so he he thought you shouldn't even go there. Well, I thought if you're going to boycott Starbucks, well, what about all the medical providers? Uh, What about, you know, different food products that you buy? Like, is this guy really going to be consistent and just boycott everything? So, you know, he felt a conviction about that and it was black and white to him, but it wasn't black and white to me. It was more gray to me. Why? Because I think we need to go into Starbucks. That's a mission field. So I pay uh, three bucks for a cup of coffee and I do that over and over again or seven bucks for a cup of coffee. Uh, You know, I've had a barista that I built a friendship once who was a lesbian that started coming to church. So that was worth however much money I spent to build that relationship. Uh, But these gray areas, uh, they become felt, especially, I think, in entertainment decisions. Mm. Uh, What do I mean by that? Can we watch this or listen to that? Um, I find that this is the area it gets the most challenging for me uh, is when it comes to watching things on TV or listening to things. And so I think by having a grid to run things through a way to funnel our, our confusion through Uh, this grid can help us make better decisions. So I've got five questions that we can ask. In some ways, I heard a message many, many years ago. I've reworked this to some degree, but I don't even remember when, where, and who said it, but I'd taken five questions that I once heard and sort of made them my own. Well, I'm looking forward to getting really, really, really practical with these five questions. But before we get there, before you jump into your list, uh, I do want to remind our audience that we're we're so gracious that you decided to check out this show. We would invite you to head on over to our YouTube channel, uh, like this video, uh, subscribe to our channel while you're there, perhaps share it out with your network as well. And also you can join our financial support team to help shows like this continue by heading on over to ChristianityStillMakesSense.com and clicking on Donate. So Bobby, let's get to the first one. What's the first question here? I think we should ask ourselves this question. Is the issue that I'm confused about, right? If I do it, will this decision directly violate scripture? The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
So one of the problems is, is if Christians just read their Psalms and Proverbs, well, they're going to ask that question, will this decision directly violate scripture? And they might not even know. So I think that we need to be reading the Bible uh, and we need to read those areas that are unfamiliar to us. Why? Because it's there to teach us how to live. And the more we know God's word, the better we're going to be able to answer this question. But we can't just assume that we know the answer, that it doesn't violate scripture if we've only had a diet on Psalms and Proverbs. Mm. We might need to go and do a little bit of research on this and figure out if we can learn more about it. So, you know, if you're a Christian and you aren't married, but you want to have sex and you need to know what the Bible has to say, right? So I think that somebody that's a believer, they should think, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? I'm in a relationship. I feel like being intimate. I remember, Tim, I kid you not, um, uh, Heather and I were dating and I made a commitment to be celibate till we got married. I was very promiscuous in my past and Heather and I were able to wait almost two years. But early on, uh, when we were dating, I said, hey, we ought to jump in the shower each other, uh, jump in the shower together. Uh, you know, we don't have to do anything, but let's just have a look. <laughs> and she said, I, I don't feel the best about that. I don't think uh, we should do that. And I said, I don't think the Bible would tell us we couldn't. Uh, I've never read that. Well, I haven't even read the whole Bible at this time. So I remember here, I opened my Bible up and I'm looking, and I didn't even know how to look anything up in the Bible, but I'm looking to see if the Bible would permit me to jump in the shower with Heather, uh, you know, as long as we didn't, you know, have intercourse. And so here I am thumbing through the Bible and I thought, I don't even, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I, I don't know how to find this. But at least my heart wanted to figure out what the Bible would have to say about it, right? right? Cause right. I was so clueless as a new believer. Right. Um, but you have to ask these type of questions. You know, if you make $50,000 per year, oh, by the way, we didn't have that shower. So audience <laughs> be happy for me. Uh, yeah. You know, if you make 50,000 bucks per year, but want to buy a $250,000 G wagon, uh, you need to consider what the Bible has to say about debt. Uh, you know, some things are clearer than others, uh, but you want to think biblically, to live biblically measured lives. So this means that we have to ask, you know, has the Bible spoken directly to this issue that I'm concerned about? If not, what are some principles that the scripture would direct me on? So, for example, you take Heather and me. I mean, the Bible talks about fleeing you know, lust. And so I knew for me uh, very quickly as Heather and I were dating, how important it was for us to have good, strong boundaries in our life. And God blessed that. As I said, we were able to date for two years and wait. And I was so thankful that God uh, began to teach me some principles, even if the Bible didn't directly say uh, a boyfriend and a girlfriend shouldn't take a shower together and just stare at each other. That's not a good idea. Right. Right. Okay. So the Bible speaking directly to something, scripture talking about it. What's the second one? I'd ask, will this decision dampen my devotion to Christ? Hmm. So think about Paul's words to the Corinthians where he wrote in first Corinthians six twelve. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Now this statement isn't without qualification or boundaries. Paul is saying that if the Bible doesn't directly speak against an action, then as long as it doesn't degrade biblical values, it is lawful. 
So no one should argue that having a glass of wine or drinking caffeine in moderation or playing video games or watching TV is sin. Uh, well, most wouldn't, right? However, if it becomes obsessive, it can then become sin for you. Too much of a good thing can be destructive. Having a social cigar is fine, but smoking a pack a day is, well, I don't think the wisest decision to make. Yeah. Having a glass of Chardonnay is okay, but pounding a quart of JD is unwise. Having sex in the context of marriage is a gift, but having sex outside of marriage will cause guilt before God, whether you feel guilty or not. It may even be helpful to distinguish between the good and the right, Tim. There are things that may be good for us to do, but it doesn't mean it is right for us to do. It would be good for me to be a missionary to Africa, but that doesn't mean it's right for me to be a missionary to Africa. So this stuff takes time to think uh, ethically. Take, for example, the way Martin Luther and the way John Calvin, the two reformers, thought about things. For Martin Luther, if the Bible doesn't say you can't, you can. But for John Calvin, if the Bible doesn't say you can, you can't. I would be much more in the Luther camp. If the Bible doesn't say you can't, you can, given that we think through certain principles. Okay, so th this is good. Let let's keep going. Let's jump to number three. What's the third question that you would ask? I'd ask, will this decision cause another Christian to stumble? Okay. So let's bring Paul to the rescue once again, where he writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 9. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Or in, or in Romans 15, 1, Paul writes, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So I think that that's important for us to think about these decisions. A lot of times people uh, are respectful of me. They know I'm a recovering alcoholic, so they don't want to drink in front of me. Well, I appreciate that, uh, but for me, um, at this stage, with nearly five years without having a drink, uh, I don't mind if people drink in front of me. In fact, I can pour a glass of wine for my wife. Uh, but when you're first trying to get clean and, and you are weak, then it's a good idea to not do that in front of somebody. So I think um, for a season, something can be a stumbling block to somebody, but with growth, it might not be a stumbling block. So you might protect yourself from doing something in front of somebody in one stage of their life, but later you might not have to do that. But we should always be sensitive to what we're doing around others that might cause them to stumble. No, that, that, that's fantastic. I, I, I'll take this opportunity to just remind our audience, we'd love to hear from you guys. If you have thoughts or comments about anything that we've said so far, feel free to leave that in a comment under this video on our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear from you. So Bobby, we've covered three of the five questions. What's the fourth one that you would ask when it comes to navigating these ethical gray areas? I would ask, can I make this decision by faith? Mm. And here, consider a couple verses, uh, both from Romans 14. Uh, verse 14 and verse 23, Paul writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Or how about this? But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For what does not proceed from faith is sin. Hmm. So if our conscience continues to be troubled, then perhaps God is trying to protect us and we must obey him. 
Sometimes we must weigh through false guilt. For instance, uh, for over five years, my wife and I wouldn't watch anything but PG movies. And I can't tell you how many PG movies uh, we walked out of uh, at the movie theaters just because the A word was mentioning uh, mentioned. However, I believe I was using the wrong value system. Hollywood doesn't seem, doesn't need to determine my value system. God does. So with Hollywood's PG scale, I wouldn't have been able to watch The Passion of the Christ. So I feel like for me, uh, you know, I had to rethink through that grid of what I can watch and can't watch. Ultimately, I realized that I had false guilt about watching certain movies that I would have been permitted to watch because of the strict Bible college that I went to that said, you can't watch these type of movies. Uh, and I had these rules put in place that were put in place through a legalistic culture. So I came to a place by faith that I believed I was at liberty to watch. However, I still have boundaries about what I can watch and what I can't watch. But I do think we need to realize there are some things um, that will trouble us. So if you don't feel like you can do this by faith, then maybe step back and push pause. But also remember, there are some seasons in your life where these values might change for you. Like you might be too weak to listen to things because it reminds you of your party past early on in your sobriety. But later on, you can listen to it. So sometimes this stuff changes, and that's why it can be kind of gray for one, black and white for another, but then it can become gray for you and black and white during another season. Well, and I think this is really helpful because a lot of people that are questioning their faith or are going through this deconstruction process do so because of kind of a background of legalism. If they've been told, you know, you're not allowed to, you know, do this, this, or this, you're not allowed to watch these movies or whatnot. So I think this is really helpful. Let's wrap up by answering the the fifth and final question. What's what's that one? I think the last decision uh, and is the most important one. Will this decision glorify God? Mm. Uh, I love it. Paul uh, writes uh, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So you think about these questions, right? Will it violate scripture? Uh, You know, will it kind of dampen my passion for Christ and deaden my conscience? Like, you know, can I do this by faith? Will it cause another person to stumble? Uh, will it glorify Christ? Uh, these are good questions that I think when you ask these type of questions, should I be watching this Netflix series? Um, should I be listening to this music? Should I be dating this person? Should I be entertaining this, uh, you know, this thought? That can really put things into perspective. Uh Charles Spurgeon, the great London preacher of the 19th century, woke up early one morning and uh, he went to meet his men early that day. And on seeing them, he realized that they were having a cigar early in the morning. And he said, men, aren't you ashamed of yourselves for smoking a cigar so early in the morning? They immediately put out their cigars in front of Mr. Spurgeon and he saddled up with the men on their horses And he began riding off on his horse and he pulls out a cigar and he lights it up on seeing this. The men said, "Uh, hey, what's the deal? You said to us, aren't you ashamed for smoking a cigar so early in the morning? And now you're having one. And Spurgeon replied by saying, I said, aren't you ashamed of yourselves? Not you should be ashamed of yourselves. He then said, 
you obviously are, but I'm not. Spurgeon believed that he could smoke a cigar to the glory of God. And so there's just a little story in a way of that whatever we do, we should be able to run it through a filter. And the final question is, will what I do glorify God? I, I'm just picturing those guys and Spurgeon as being like, yep, totally cool with me. I'm not ashamed at all. Riding off, riding off for breakfast or whatever. But, it's a funny story, isn't it, man? It's, that's, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, that's good. We'll leave it there. I think these questions were immensely yeah. helpful, um, but I, I, I'm hoping our audience found this show helpful. And in fact, we would love to hear from you. I'd mentioned earlier that we want to hear your feedback in the comments of this video. So please go ahead and leave them there. And doubters, thanks for joining us, we will meet you on the next episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.